If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll also be in Genesis chapter 1. This morning we're continuing our series, Love Lies. We are talking about sex this morning. Let me say this to you. It's a little PG-13. If you're in the car and your kids are listening, it's on you. If your kids are in the room and they're not in City Kids, that one's on you. It's a little bit uh, PG-13. If you're sitting next to your mom this morning, let me also apologize to you. We have covered a lot of topics from the gift of singleness to uh, love is a feeling. Uh, God just wants me to be happy. Uh, this morning we're going to be talking about two lies in regards to sex and sexuality. We have designed a culture here at City Church where we don't have to agree on all the non-essentials to be in unity. Amen? That on the essential matters of our faith, we hold them tightly. We stand on them. On the essential matters, on things that are debatable, we've learned to honor and love each other well through those, which the culture around us does not uh, show us how to do, right? So anytime I really have to deal with issues, it's not as much people inside of our church because we've developed a culture of loving people well through even uh, disagreeing. It's people outside of our church who just says, you either believe everything that I believe or I'll cancel you or don't want to listen to you or can't be in relationship with you. The beauty of the church is that we've held some of these non-essentials loosely while also shaping our worldview and understanding around the gospel, around biblical values. Let me say this to you. Cultural values about sexuality and biblical sex values about sexuality are moving in opposing directions at a very fast pace. If you want to have a God-honoring Christian worldview of sexuality, you better be prepared to be countercultural. You better be prepared to stand in a room of people who do not think like you, believe like you, who won't understand how you came to this conclusion. I was just talking to someone in the lobby, and they said, thanks for sharing that because I never hear that message. For every one time you're going to hear this, you will hear hundreds and thousands of opposing messages from an increasingly secular culture. Let me also say this to you. Issues of sexuality and sex are incredibly complex. In fact, I could not have been prepared in my undergrad in biblical studies and seminary and master's in theology for what I would face today and the complexity of sexual issues. Sometimes I just want to look back and say, the apostle Paul never had to deal with this. Because I, I, I consider myself well-versed and well-read and well-studied, and yet the complexity, and I'm going to do my best to honor where you're at this morning, but people are going to be all over the place. And I don't want to make statements to alienate you from a relationship with God and the church. That's why if a, if a conversation and dialogue is necessary, this is the place to have it, a safe place to have it. Because some of you this morning, again, you're in different places. You're in the room, you're a virgin, you've never had sex before, and so there's a preparing of yourself, you're wondering what it's going to be like, preparing yourself for what it could be. Some of you in the room have been sexually abused. I know because I pastor you, that someone took advantage of you, and you kind of lived with that, and you're working through what it means to be free. Some of you in the room are living an extremely promiscuous lifestyle and having sex with numerous other people. Some of you are same-sex attracted. Some of you have acted upon those feelings, and some of you have not. Some of you feel, don't, don't feel comfortable talking about them. You're wondering if the church will love you, if you were honest about how you feel or what you're wrestling through. Some of you in the room are happily married and enjoying a vibrant sex life, and some of you in the room, you're, you're experiencing a sexless marriage where you're not sure how or when, but along the ways, days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and for whatever reason, now it's just nobody wants to talk about it, nobody wants to do anything about it, it's just the way things are now. You have women who can't open up to their husband's sexually, even physical touch. You're not sure why. Maybe it's from past trauma. Maybe it's other things going on. Some in the room, you're dating, you're struggling. You want to do this the right way. You want to walk in purity, but you haven't. 
or you feel like you can't. Some of you are stuck in chronic masturbation and it's a, it's a, it's a cycle that you can't break free from. There's men who, in, instead of having sex with their wife in the other room, will, will be addicted to a screen because having sex with their wife and, and rediscovering what's happening in this room is going to take a long time and it's going to have a lot of hard conversations and now there's a cycle that you feel like you cannot break free from. And let me tell you, pornography is not just a male thing. There's women in the room, you're struggling through that. Some of you in the room feel a disconnect between your biological gender and how you feel or what you're experiencing, and that's just to name a few of them. Welcoming to, welcome to pastoring in 2022. <laughs> Let's talk about what this looks like. Two lies that we believe. I'm going to start over here with license. License is this understanding that everything is permissible. This is the anthem of our culture. Throw off all restraint. No authorities. Nobody is going to tell me what to do or what to feel because ultimately I get to decide who I am, what I believe, and what I want to do, especially with my body. This lie has a tendency to lead us to a place that, uh, where we believe that sex is just physical. Sex is just a physical transaction uh, between two people designed for my personal pleasure. If we went to the opposite extreme of license is what I call legalism. If license said everything is permissible, you guessed it. Legalism says nothing is permissible. Many of you grew up in this church, didn't you? It's bad. It's dirty. It's shameful. You don't even talk about it, which leads us to the lie that sex is shameful. It's a shameful thing. Again, we don't talk about it. There's no honest conversations. We just repress it. We, we're not open about it. We don't struggle well through it. In fact, if you fail, you better just keep it to yourself because uh, it's not socially acceptable, especially in many churches, to talk about sexual failure. You can talk about other things. You're fine if you're a glutton, but if you've had sex in your history, then there's no place for you. Come on now. Have we allowed license or legalism to hijack God's beautiful design for sexuality? Many of you probably lean towards one or the other. How do we find this place of gospel-centeredness and our understanding? Let me tell you one of the primary tactics of the enemy in your life. The enemy cannot create. The enemy has no power over you. The enemy does this. To distort what God has created is good and beautiful. The enemy wants, because of sin, uh, our passions and desires for sex are often distorted. And instead of seeing sex as a giving of oneself to someone else, our sinful hearts want to use sex for selfish reasons, not self-giving reasons. God created sex as a gift from God for you to mutually self-give. Anything in life that you d is designed around you and your personal fulfillment just for your benefit will never ultimately lead to life because that's not how you were created by your creator. You were created not just to get, not to just to receive, but to give. How do we redeem this understanding of God's design for sex? That's why my children, my my oldest son right now, I'm having this conversation, and our next oldest, my my daughter, um, we're just beginning to have some of these conversations because let me tell you, the culture and the world aren't going to get to my kids before I do. It will not happen. There's sometimes people who are like, you you want your kids to hear that kind of stuff? Yes, I want them to hear it from me, right? No, not someone else is going to disciple my kids. We talk openly about these things so the stigma and the shame and my kids don't have to go into the dark corners to struggle well through their sexuality. They can do it with mom and dad because we talk about it. We're open about it. And you have, parents, you have to use wisdom and knowing when to do that. But here's where I start with my kids. Sex is an incredible gift that God gave us. And I just stop there. It's a gift. 
I want you to know before anything else, it's a gift because guess what? I lived about 25 years of my life not thinking it was a gift. Just thinking you don't look, you don't touch, you don't go, you don't think about, you don't talk, you, nothing, nothing, nothing. It was so, such a shame-based culture that I never understood it's a gift as God created in his design. I want my kids to know that. Let's create some of this theological foundation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. First of all, we start with you and I are made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. The animals are not made in the image of God. You and I are. We bear the image of our creator, this image of this perfect unity, this Trinitarian unity and relationship that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share. And then he gives us this creation mandate. Be fruitful, increase, and fill the earth. You know how Adam and Eve were going to do that? They didn't fist bump. (laughs) Some of us need to just start back to the creation. And guess what? Sex was not a result of the fall. It was part of God's creation and design. How do I fill the earth and subdue it? There was this beautiful place of sexual union between Adam and Eve to go and create, go, even for us today, there's still a creation mandate, go and do good, go and become a banker, a lawyer, go and help society flourish, go and help make sure people can get their groceries down the street at research. This is a part of our creation mandate to go and create, produce art, make movies, do the things that lead to human flourishing. Fill the earth with the glory of God. Verse 31 of Genesis 1, God saw all that he had made. And it was very what? It was very, it was good. He looked and said, man, this is a good thing. This is a good design. This is, this is good. This harmony, this relationship that man and woman have, because it's not good for man to be alone. And so I'm going to create woman for you. And so you guys are going to be able to operate in this, this special relationship and unity and mystery of being one. And it's going to be a reflection of the Trinitarian relationship. Our, our, our unity between man and woman and the covenant of marriage is a picture of God's pursuit of us. Right? It's a picture of God's pursuit. Let's develop a theology of sexuality in the 15 minutes we have left here. Come on now. Number one, scripture defines sex as a gift from God with specific purposes. There's a lot of specific purposes. Let me give you just a few of them. Number one, mutual pleasure. Let me say that again for you in the back. Mutual pleasure. There's a lot of people who are like, no, you just have sex to procreate. Well, then you better get rid of some scriptures and a whole book of the Bible because Song of Solomon is very erotic. Like you think you know what it's talking about? It probably is. And probably more. In fact, if we translated exactly what they're doing in the Song of Solomon, the pursuit of each other, some of you'd be like, I can't believe that, right? Some of you need to read that to each other in your marriage. Like, it's, it's great. I mean, she literally is coming to her. Uh, he's coming to her, his wife. He's like, I have, I have to have you. I want to know you. Like, we've got to get away, and, and I want to explore your garden, right? Garden, you know? And then he's like, grab the keys. Let's get out of town now. We've got to go do this. It's not just I want, to, I want you to have a, my baby. It's I want to know every single part of you. I mean, that's the pursuit you see. Guys, are you uncomfortable yet? All right, good. 
to the oneness of the covenant of marriage. Every time within the covenant of marriage that there's sexual union, you are practicing the oneness that God has designed. Number three, procreation. Be fruitful, be mul- multiply, increase, fill the earth and subdue it. The Bible celebrates sexual passion and pleasure within the covenant of marriage. In premarital counseling, a lot of you did premarital counseling in the room with me. You know this. I look at you and say, hey, within the covenant of marriage, when you have an incredible sex life, it makes God smile. People are like, that's creepy. <laughs> it's like God's looking down on you from earth like some kind of creeper in a windowless van. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, that's how far we've gotten from the creation mandate that when we think about that, it's like, mm, I don't know about that. No, if I like that. No, he gave it to you as a gift for you to experience this intimacy with no one else. This safe place of transparency where you don't have to perform, you don't have to be somebody different. You get to experience the beauty and the vulnerability of being fully known and fully loved in a context that God has created for you and wants you to thrive in. And when you thrive in that context, guess what? God loves it because he created you for it. We have to get that right. We have to get that part right. Where was I? Number two, scripture takes a high view of the physical body. Scripture elevates, um, we'll get there in just a minute. Number three, scripture clearly defines and celebrates the differentiation of sex or gender as the foundation for sexual union. I told you from the very beginning, there's some things counterculturally that if you're not willing to go down that road and develop a, a biblical theology of sexual ethics, then you will just go along with what is culturally significant at the moment. Sexual differentiation is a part of God's creation and a part of what means to be made in his image. This does not mean there's not issues of gender dysphoria and transgenderism that are complex. It means that part of being made in the image of God is knowing that sexual differentiation and what you were biologically born with matters. It matters to God because the physical body matters to God. To reject these gender differences or diversity is to reject a significant part of God's design. And culture will tell us that biology doesn't inform our gender. You inform your gender. But that would not be consistent with the sexual ethic we see from Genesis to Revelation. Number four is this. Scripture teaches. I'm actually going to preach more about that in the last message, so I'm not going to go into detail there. Scripture teaches us that marriage between a man and a woman is a holy mystery in which the two become one flesh. There's very few times that it's called a mystery something so wonderful and profound, it's only through the help of the Holy Spirit that we understand how two separate individuals leave mother and father and cleave and become united as one and become one flesh. You are still an individual with uh, feelings and identity and all these things, but how do we become one? This beautiful thing that, that Scripture teaches us. Number five, Scripture teaches us that sex is God's appointed way for two people to give all of themselves to each other spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Sex is a covenant renewal act. It creates a place of security and vulnerability and intimacy and self-giving. It is, again, a place where you don't have to perform. You don't have to be someone else. There's no expectations of, I've got to be this person for my spouse. No, you can be fully vulnerable, again, fully known and fully loved. Uh, Our wedding day, I had the flu the week of our wedding. Not, not great timing. I was throwing up in our pictures right before we got married. <laughs> Taking medicine, all these things. I, and I, this is the part of the story I usually only tell. Like, I had some people come around me and pray. I did not feel good all week until I literally walked out to go up on stage. I feel like God just miraculously healed me. I remember our wedding night. We knew nothing. We had great mentors. We knew nothing about sex, but we had zero expectations. It was beautiful. Zero expectations. 
All I knew is there was going to be a naked woman in my bed that night, and I was pumped. <laughs> and I remember my wife looking at me, and she was like, babe, it's, it's, I know you've had such a rough week. We have our life. And I was like, we are doing this. 24 years, it's happened. I'm about to rock your world. And I'm going to tell you, we had fun. We laughed a lot. She laughed a lot more than I did. I'm not sure why. <laughs> but there were no expectations. We knew that we were starting here and going to grow into this relationship together, both emotionally and sexually. And, all the, and so it's beautiful, guess what, when you enter a space where you don't have to be someone. You can be fully vulnerable, right? That's not what the world offers us. That's what covenant offers us. I'm giving all of you not pieces of myself to you. I'm, I'm going to give fully to you. This lie that sex is just physical. It's just a physical transaction between two uh, consenting individuals for your personal pleasure and enjoyment. See, what our culture does is they try to split the body and soul. It's just your body, and you're welcome to do with your body whatever you want to do because ultimately you decide what is good, right, and true for you. The anthem of our culture. Not a biblical worldview. Our hookup culture has only served to increase the divide between emotional intimacy and physical intimacy. You can have sex without getting emotionally involved. In fact, we encourage you to do so. Just see it as physical. Don't get your emotions involved because then it'll get all messy and you'll have feelings. No, just, just the physical part of it. It encourages individuals to disassociate their bodies from their whole person. William Birdsley, a psychiatry professor at Harvard University, says young people are trying to persuade themselves that true sexual intimacy is unconnected from personal intimacy, but they're fooling themselves. You're, you're fooling yourselves to think that you can split how God has designed you and made you. But there, there's, there's something in our culture, and it, uh, I, there's a theory out there. It's called personhood theory. Uh, Nancy Piercy wrote an incredible book called Love Thy Body. Uh, it's on the Love Lies resources. She talks a lot about personhood theory. If you want to get into issues of homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, uh, abortion, things of that nature, she says personhood theory is something that now is culturally significant and relevant in our time. And it's really this, where the personal part of you, your opinions, the subjective part of you, your ideas and philosophies override what is objective or even what is biological. So the biological part of you and how you were born doesn't really matter. It's how you feel. It's what you determine, right? It's, it's my body, so it should be my rights. Have you heard that in the last few weeks? Only a million times, right? But the scriptural view of things, that's not how it goes. No, your body is not your own. Your body is paid for, purchased. Like It matters. The physical world matters. The biology of how you are speaks to who you are and who you were created. So it doesn't mean there's not complexity sexuality. It means that this understanding that I determine what is right, best, and good for me is not a biblical sexual ethic. It falls apart. It's, it's, it's the flag of freedom that our culture is, is flying that leads you to spiritual death. Let's keep going. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Paul is quoting the cultural slogan of the time. Look, it's, it's in quotations. He's saying, this is what you say. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, is what you say but I will not be mastered by anything. Here we are 2,000 years later dealing with the exact same issue Paul was dealing in the church of Corinth in this Greek Roman culture 2,000 years ago. 
He's saying you are flying the white flag of freedom because you can do it, you should do it, because you feel it, you should act on it, and you think it at least to freedom, and it doesn't. If freedom or liberty without restraint is the highest value, it will bring bondage in your life, not freedom. Our culture keeps preaching the message, you do you, you find what you want, you actualize yourself, you will lead to freedom. That is in direct contradiction to what God says where we find our identity and purpose in him. If freedom or liberty without restraint is the highest value, it will bring bondage. That is exactly what Paul is dealing with here. Verse 13, you say, Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Here's what he's saying. He's like, if you have a stomach and if you feel the urge to eat, you eat. That's what a stomach's for. If you have genitalia, if you feel a sexual urge, you should act on that sexual urge because why else do you have that? This is where a lot of people say, well, if I have the urge, it's got to be God-given. God won't give me desires and urges that aren't from him. Really? Really? You want to act that out all the way to the end. It leads us to some pretty weird, dark places, doesn't it? The body, however, is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. As a result, flee from sexual morality. Run. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought and purchased at a very expensive price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul is dealing with a form of Gnosticism. This early heresy in the church that said the physical didn't really matter. What matters is the spiritual. And guess what? Here we are 2,000 years later, and we have a new form of Gnosticism that we are dealing with secularism. The physical, the biological doesn't really matter. But scripture would say, you know what? It very, do- it very much does matter. Because God will restore, renew, and recreate the physical world. So the body, uh, the scripture elevates this understanding of the body. Your body matters. Who you unite your body with matters because you are not just a spirit or a soul. You are not disembodied souls. No, you are physical and you are spiritual and they were designed to be one. And when you give one of them, guess what? You have to give both of them. You can't split them apart. You were made to be whole. You are made to experience the wholeness of God's design, so don't give your physical body if you're not willing and able to give them all of yourself. When I see young girls who are just so flippant with their physical body like it doesn't matter and they give it so easily or cheaply, I want to take them and I want to say, do you know how much value and worth you have? You are so precious and what you're giving away, that young man doesn't deserve. You don't, you don't deserve to be split apart. You need someone who will take your soul and your body and take them in the covenant of marriage and say, guess what? I'm going to give you every part of me because you're worthy of it. You deserve it. See, what the biblical model does is it returns dignity and value back to who we are and how we're created, the body that God created. Christianity isn't anti-sex by any means. It's pro-body. Your body is worthy of dignity and honor. And inside the covenant of marriage, inside this mutually self-giving place of safety and transparency, we find life. And anything outside of that will continue 
this cycle of never enough. I need more. Again, because so much of it is based on us and what we want and what we can receive from it. Lie number two is this. Sex is shameful for the three minutes we have left. Come on now. Sex is shameful. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no, say it with me, felt no. We can't imagine that world. Like I, I say, you know, the word penis or something like that. Some of you are like, please stop talking about that. Pastor, please stop talking about your sex life, right? No insecurity, no blushing. Adam and Eve experiencing this pure, uninhibited sexual unity between husband and wife. Again, a picture of God's pursuit of us. A picture of what God wanted for us. Again, sex not a part of the fall, but a part of God's creation, and look what sin has done to the beauty of this creation. It's pushed us into the darkness, into the dark corners, even in the church, and I'm, I'm not sure the church has ever come out of the dark corners. How do we struggle well if we can't struggle honestly? How, how do we struggle well if we can't even talk about the topics? How do we struggle well if we create environments in the church where certain things can't be talked about and we can't say this or I, I don't feel comfortable dealing with that? Pastor, well, I don't care if you feel comfortable because someone in the room may need to hear this. They may need it. And so your responsibility in the body of Christ is to create a safe place where people can be honest and real and work towards godliness and holiness. Amen? So first, we've got to rip the Band-Aid off, which I think we're doing this morning, right? That's what I'm trying to do. Maybe some of you grew up in the purity culture movement of the 90s, 2000s. Any, any kids of that? The purity culture was not altogether a bad thing. It was the evangelical church's response to sexual morality, STDs, teenage pregnancy. We would take pledges. We would wear purity rings. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. When I was in junior high, the book I Kiss Dating Goodbye came out. Come on, anybody else have to go through that? Every youth group in America? Guess what? If you don't date, you can't have sex. We got that one, didn't we? <laughs> the thought behind it was not altogether wrong. It's what kind of carrot are you dangling in front of people? If the carrot is shame and don't do it, guess what? That falls apart, doesn't it? If the picture of the carrot is a beautiful picture of God's design for you and intimacy with him, that becomes sufficient to carry you through to holiness. And I would argue that the purity culture did a good job of talking about what we shouldn't do, but didn't give us a great picture of the beautiful design that God has for us. You're not wearing this ring just to say, I'm not going to have sex. You're wearing this ring because you believe that your body has value and dignity. You believe that within the covenant of marriage, there is life and that Christ can be fully sufficient for you now until you get to that place. And then it'll have to be fully sufficient for you then too. I think it's not altogether weird that Joshua Harris, the person who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, you remember that, would renounce his faith turn and walk away from his understanding of sexuality because it was insufficient. It was insufficient to lead him to a place of holiness. What happens when we lose the beauty of God's design and adopt a shame-based understanding of sex? What happens is we hide. We hide. We struggle alone. We can't accept as a sex as a gift from God. And so we feel like there's not a place for us to struggle well in the church. And guess what? Man, we can't hide we can't do that to the next generation. We can't do that to our kids. There's too much at stake. Like there's too much for me at stake to say, you know what? I know you're going to struggle sometimes with your sexuality. I hope you figure it out. No. 
No, struggle well. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about our desires, our disordered desires. Let's talk about what God wants us to do. Let's submit at times to the things we don't understand, to God's way of doing things, and let's trust that God truly is Lord and will lead us to life. Culture, biblical values, I'm, I'm telling you, you're living in a time where they just happen to be moving in opposite directions. This is the time you're living in. The first century was very similar. People always think, you know what, I, the time I'm living, I, I'm going to stand up for what is right, good, and true. You know how hard it is sometimes to develop a biblical worldview? Oh, you're a bigot. You're homophobic. Right? You're this or that. No. I love the LGBTQ community. I want to create safe places for you to discover Jesus. If you don't believe me, try it out. There's a lot of people in our church who have. No, that's not at all. And in fact, I don't have to believe everything that you believe to love you well. What a lie. That if I'm not flying your flag, that's not love for you? How are you going to navigate these things? Because you're navigating them, aren't you? You're developing your worldview. Some of you have already developed your sexual and biblical worldview of what you believe. What happens when we lose the beauty of God's design? We assume that our past sexual failures or struggles will keep us from experiencing freedom or God's best, that you're damaged, you're beyond repair. What do I do? This, this is what the purity culture movement did for us. It didn't create a place of well, what happens when I've gone too far. What happens when I got to take the purity ring off and now I'm just like this damaged tomato that so many people have picked up. That's what they use. Did anybody else hear that metaphor growing up? That bruised tomato. Nobody wants the bruised tomato. Jesus wants the bruised tomato, right? Like, yeah, maybe you did mess up, but making things new is what God does, right? God can restore the deepest sexual brokenness. He doesn't want you to experience it. If you can avoid it, do it, walk in life. But if you've already experienced it, God can heal it. Instead, growing up, we were like, well, what's the boundary? What's the line? What if you're just in the foyer and don't go all the way in the building, right? <laughs> Is that sex? I don't think that's what God's called us to, right? How do we get a better picture beautiful design God has for us. If you're single in this room and desiring to stay sexually pure, you are a testimony to the church of the sufficiency of Jesus. I said this in the gift of singleness. You can thrive without sexual intimacy in your life and not be lacking in one thing. You cannot thrive without a personal relationship with Jesus and intimacy and relationships in the church family. You have to have that. You're a testimony and maybe your step of faith is trusting God to say, you know what, I'm going to honor you with this, this, this sexual ethic. I'm not even sure if I agree with it, but I'm going to honor you, and I'm going to see if that leads to life or not. And I'm going to see if, Christ, you really, really, really will be everything that I need, and I feel like I won't be lacking anything, and I don't need to go try to find something somewhere. What we are living with today is a culture that is defining who they are according to their sexual identity. I don't care what time and age you grew up in, you will never define who you are according to your sexuality. Who you are is always identified by who you are in Christ. Until we get to the root issue of identity in Christ, what do we do? Sexuality is a gift. Today we want to reject 
and the cultural values that lead to death and recover a biblical worldview of sex and sexuality that leads to freedom and to the heart of God. We want to surrender ourselves to God's design for us. Let me say this about surrender. Some of you, that comes with very little price or very little sacrifice. Maybe your ideas or views are already aligned. Maybe you're in a marriage today between a man and woman, and you're like, that's not really too hard for me to understand because I'm already within the context of marriage. But some of you in the room, to adopt this understanding comes at a very high price. Some of you in the room, there's a great sacrifice. Maybe there's a cross that you're going to have to bear that I don't have to bear. And you have to ask yourself, if I do that, if I take up that cross and I walk that road, will Christ meet me? Will that be enough? Will that actually lead to life? See, this determines lordship. We live in a culture where like, I, that shouldn't be a burden for you. If that's a burdensome thing, a law, then you shouldn't do it because nothing should be repressive. This is the same thing the church in Corinth was saying. If you can and you feel you should. And yet last time I checked, what Christianity offered us was the cross. It may not be easy, but your reward is worth it. It's worth it. What I just said just now is extremely unpopular. Would you stand to your feet with me across this room? I ran out of time like forever ago. I'm going to ask you just to open your hearts to the leading of the Holy Spirit and maybe how God wants to speak to you right now. Maybe just right where you're at, close your eyes. Maybe you agreed with a lot, maybe you didn't this morning. That's okay. We love you regardless of that. Maybe you just open your heart this morning to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Maybe God wants to heal the sexual wounds and the trauma that you've experienced. The enemy has continued to use what happened to you as something to keep you from walking in freedom. And God just wants to remind you this morning, you are not what has happened to you. You didn't do something wrong there. No, someone took advantage of you. And God can restore and renew and make everything new again because that's what he does. That's what God does. Maybe there's some people in this room this morning and you're in a sexless marriage. Maybe you don't even know how you got to this place. You know what will heal it? Humility. Maybe coming to your spouse, whether you are responsible for the 95% or the 5% and saying, I repent. I'm sorry. I want healing. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'll go talk to a pastor. I'll go see a counselor. Let's do that together. Let's restore what's been broken. Maybe this morning God begins to break through the hard-heartedness and restore a love that is going to be deeper than what you had before. Maybe you're engaging in sexual practices outside of God's design. You're ripping apart body and soul when it was meant to be one and you need to change your behavior. You need to repent. Maybe you're struggling with your sexuality and God's desires versus your own desires. They seem to be in conflict. You ask yourself this morning, what does God desire of me? 
Maybe you're stuck in this cycle of chronic masturbation or pornography, and you're not sure if freedom is possible. The greatest tactic of the enemy, hear my words, is to tell you that the pain of being fully known is too great. And so you should stay in the shadows because nobody can know. The second lie is this, is you can do it on your own. I have walked this road with hundreds of men. Here's what I know. Being known is so much greater than living in the darkness. And number two, you cannot do it alone. Men or women, maybe it starts with confession and repentance this morning, but maybe your step of faith as you walk out this door and you grab a trusted friend and you say, I need your help to break out of this bondage. I need your help. God will meet you in your courageous step of faith and he will deliver you. I'm telling you, he will deliver you. Holy Spirit, we just offer ourselves to you this morning. We don't get everything right. I don't get everything right. And I struggle and wrestle with this text in order to come to the heart of God. But we do come this morning with the desire to know you, to receive, to walk in freedom. God, I pray that even our desire to know what is true and good and right honors you. God, I pray for people this morning in this room who are stuck in cycles of death. God, would you break them free? Whether it's shame, whether it's license, where it's sexual uh, addiction. God, I break the stronghold right now over someone's life. Maybe somebody's gonna be driving this week. You're, you're listening to this message later on and the enemy has used this abuse that you've gone through to keep you locked in a cycle of shame and condemnation. And, and man, God just wants to break you out of that. No more will you allow the enemy to use that tactic. You will see yourself through the eyes of how God sees you, pure, holy, dressed in white, restore and renewing all things, and no longer what has happened to you. God, we offer ourselves to you this morning. We surrender ourselves, what we understand and what we don't, when our feelings align with you and when our feelings don't, the broken parts of us, Father, that nobody knows. The things that we try to hide over in the darkness, God, we bring into the light. We say, Father, take it. Take it, Father. Help us. Why don't you grab your communion elements this morning? And here's, here's the really cool thing about this. Is all of this baggage and all of this struggle... We can bring it to the table this morning and give it to Jesus. We don't have to go fix it and then bring it. Isn't that cool? That even our brokers and our struggle, we can come to the table and say, this is why you went to the cross to take my sin, my shame, my struggle, my abuse, the wrongs that have happened to me, the things that I've messed up, the things that I can't go back and change. The cross of Jesus Christ is enough for you. Amen? I'm so grateful for that. If you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, we practice open communion. That means anybody who is hungry for more of Jesus, you're welcome to take with us this morning.
and receive Christ maybe as your Lord and Savior today. Maybe you walk into that relationship with him. Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. This was my body broken for you. I was ripped apart so that you could be resurrected and be made whole again. He saw our sexual sin and shame and said, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to restore and redeem that. Amen? Let's take the body of Christ together. And Jesus took the cup. His blood shed for us to redeem and restore what we could not do on our own. How many are thankful for the blood of Jesus? Let's take together. Right where you're at, and will you just, would your prayer be one of gratitude and thankfulness because of the work of Jesus, just right where you're at? And we always want the work of Jesus to move us into gratitude. Father, thank you. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you that right now you're healing hearts across this room. You're restoring things that have been broken. God, marriages that are in disaster, God, you are putting the pieces back together. God, you are breaking through hard hearts, God. Help us to walk out of this room and live faithfully to you. In the kingdom of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Man, thanks for being with us today on a, on a hard message. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come forward, any of our elders, trustees, prayer team staff. If you need prayer for anything uh, today, maybe God's moving your heart. Maybe you're just not done with this moment and you wanna pray with somebody. These people here just to love you and would love to pray with you. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, I'd love to meet you in the welcome room just across the lobby, just 30 seconds of your time. We've got a free gift for you. Uh, next Sunday is Father's Day. I'm going to be honoring our fathers. We're going to have a panel up here, a marriage panel. Uh, a lot of people just answering questions about love, marriage, singleness, sex, all the things. My mom and dad are going to be on the panel. Come on now. So this is one of the only Sundays that Pastor Matt's not in charge. The other Mr. Nelson will be here. It's his show. I just do whatever he says. And so, uh, in fact, I don't know if my mom and dad have ever shared at City Church in 13 years. So uh, that's going to be exciting. So come, let's honor our fathers. Uh, next week as well. Let's end with our mission statement. Go live it out wherever you are. Be the gospel. Be the gospel.